If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 68 of the Early Excellence Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Josie Hall. Josie is the Early Years Leader and Reception Class Teacher at Knavesmire Primary School in York, part of the South Bank Trust. Three years on, we take a look back at the COVID-19 lockdowns and Josie shares her experiences of this difficult and challenging time in school. So here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with Josie Hall. So I'm joined by Josie Hall, who is the Early Years Teacher and Early Years Leader at Knavesmire Primary School in York. Josie, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, lovely to have you with us. Um, we're going to talk about all sorts of things, aren't we? We're going to be talking about COVID. We're going to be talking about the COVID pandemic and also kind of post-COVID as well and the, and the impact of COVID. Um, just before we get on to that, we're going to be talking about your own school and your experiences. Um can you give us a bit of context, Josie? You're at Namesmire Primary School. Give us a bit of context about the school itself and about your role at the school, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, no problem, Andy. Um, so I'm Josie. I am a reception teacher and I also teach nursery at Namesmire Primary School. Um, I'm early years lead, so I oversee our nursery and our reception classes, um, of which we have two. Um, I've been teaching for about eight years now, I've been early years lead, um, only for about four, but I do have a childcare background, um, previously working in nurseries and childminding prior to this. Um, I've recently worked with the DFE on a few projects, um, such as the COVID recovery programme. Um, I've also helped out with some videos surrounding the reforms and some foundation stage blogs as well. Um, so at Navesmire Primary School, I'm proud to have a highly experienced team of teachers and TAs um, spread throughout our early years setting, which allows everybody to flourish and work together to get the best for our children. Um, so both nursery and reception consist of two rooms. Um, reception is open plan um, and very busy. Um, we also share an outside space and we have a really strong early years out, outdoor ethos as well. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of context on the school as well, Andy. So um, our school is a large um, primary school in the South Bank area of York. Um, we have 400 plus children um, attending our school and we have a really strong sense of community here at Navesmire. Um, we've got a stable school population, so I think we're quite lucky to be full all the time um, and quite often have waiting lists with many generations of people coming. Um, we're a very creative school with a strong focus on personal development um, and kind of a whole child. Um, and we are also part of, part of the South Bank Multi-Academy Trust, um, which is the map that we're in. Um, so I get to work alongside two other early years settings within our map. Um, so kind of our school ethos is intertwined with our early, early years ethos, which, you know, works really well for us. We have a strong focus on the whole child. Um, we look very much so at how the child is developing academically, but also 
very importantly on how they're doing socially um, and how they're developing their physical and mental well-being as well. Um, so lucky for us in early years, the school ethos fits perfectly with what we do as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was going to say, I, I delivered some training for you, didn't I, a couple of weeks ago? And it was really refreshing, actually, I think, to be asked to be delivering training on uh, personal, social and emotional development. That I think, although, of course, PSED is one of the prime areas, it actually isn't something that we talk about enough, I think. You know, that actually, you know, it does underpin that learning process, that when we, when we know about young children in terms of, or what we know about young children in terms of their well-being and their personal, social and emotional development, we know that actually well-being needs to be high for children to learn and develop well, to, them to learn and develop effectively. So I think we do need to have that conversation. So I, I, I love it when schools talk about how actually we they have that holistic approach and what they mean by that is that actually we're talking about that real breadth of of understanding about child development and I think that came across in the conversations we had on the day you know two or three weeks ago from now yeah absolutely um, I did actually have a conversation with our CEO um, following on from your training um, where we were speaking about you know how important children's well-being is before you can move on to anything else not just for early years, but for the whole of primary school. But we were then moving on to, you know, we need to get back to basics with secondary schools as well. And actually, there should be a focus for all children, especially following on from the kind of turbulent period that they've had in their lives recently. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, really interesting as well. I, I didn't realise that you also had a background in, in childcare um, and, and working before, you know, before you became a teacher, presumably, which is... A, that's a, it's really, isn't it? It is, yeah. So I've done all sorts of jobs um, in lots of different countries around the world. But yeah, um, when based in England, have worked um, in some private day nurseries, but also done childminding as well. Yeah, yeah. But that gives you such a good, uh, such a good um, foundation, I think, doesn't it, to your career as a teacher? Yeah, you get a broad range of experiences, don't you, from working with lots of different age ranges yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's move on, if that's all right. Um, I, I'm, I'm always aware, or I am aware, particularly in terms of this recording, that we're recording this. Um, now, it will, be, it will be put out later, but we're recording it on at the end of March 2023. And it is almost exactly three years to the date that the first lockdown was announced in the e on the evening of the 23rd of March by Boris Johnson which when you look back at that now, it just seems like a whole different world. You know, that when suddenly times, it felt like time just stopped. And we're going to go on to talk about your work with the Department of Education. And we're going to talk about um, that, that kind of the, the impact of the COVID pandemic on you in terms of your practice and you in terms of your class, uh, but then also the Department of Education as well. But I thought we'd start off really by just thinking back to those those really, really strange, as we say, unprecedented times. So can you think back to three years ago? Um, what was it like for you then? Three years ago, Boris Johnson appears on the television and says to people, right, that's it, you mustn't leave your homes, and suddenly the world stops. Tell us about what that was like for you in school, because I, I would imagine that your experiences were 
the same or very similar to many people who will be listening to this? Absolutely. And I think three years, people kind of put it out of their minds now, don't they? You know, this is something from the past, but actually it is something that needs reflecting on as well. Um, it was such a complex and emotional time for grown-ups and children alike on so many levels. Um, I think for me personally, um, I was thrown into working from home really quickly um, due to personal circumstances, um, but was very much still working from home and involved in what was going on in school as well. Um, you know, so there was a lot of worry, there was a lot of uncertain uncertainty. Um, and we all know how adults' emotions reflect on children. So despite the efforts to mask and hide, you know, how must the children have been feeling during that time? If, you know, we were feeling like that, I think. Children must have been feeling worried, sad, confused, definitely a little bit excited that school might be closing. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of emotions around there, wasn't there? Uh, and straight away... We were kind of going against any kind of early years ethos of taking resources away, um, taking that social interaction away and doing things that felt really unnatural for early years. Um, you know, so straight away, everyone was thrown into this um, confusing time of change, which is never easy for anybody. Um, but for me, there was a good community feel within our school with the teachers um, leadership team, parents and children, um, you know, and everyone was coming together trying to make the best of this situation that was brand new to everyone and, you know, nobody had experienced before. So, yeah, things, things were changing rapidly with very little warning, weren't they? So it was just kind of trying to keep up with that as well. Yeah, yeah. And tell us about the, the, the bubbles within the classroom. How did that work for you? You know, presumably because in you've you've of course got nursery and then you've got reception. They're separate anyway. Presumably they, they became completely separate entities, did they? They became completely separate. It was very sad because again, something that we work on within our early years setting is bringing everybody together and you know, having that shared early years experience. So straight away children having to go into key worker bubbles. Um, we did actually have to move the early years classrooms at some point to use classrooms elsewhere in school, which obviously don't accommodate for the learning experiences that we like to give early years children. Um, and then there was government guidance around sand and water, you know, and all the resources that we really value um, and needing to take those away and kind of change what we do. Um, you know, so straight away, children were thrown into this period of change, um, social isolation, disruption to their provision, changes to family environments. It's it's a lot, isn't it? Um, you know, we say, wow, three years, but actually, three years is not is not that long, and this is a very recent event that does need, you know, it needs looking at and it needs. Reassessing, we need to reevaluate our practice moving on from this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's the sort of thing that that I think we were we were all and are all keen to move on from. But at the same time, it's like a sort of uh, almost like it's there embedded now within our psyche. I suppose that we've all had this shared experience and that real fear of suddenly everything closing down. That. I don't think we can just suddenly, well, we have, but you know, you can't just sort of suddenly reopen 
everything and then just say, right, that's it, back to normal, without there being some kind of impact. And we're going to go on to talk about that, aren't we? That actually, you know, the impact that we see in our children, you can you can see it, you can see the impact of of the experiences or lack of experiences that those children had now within primary schools, I think. You know, just anecdotally, you can see that kind of impact, can't you, I think? The experiences were different, weren't they? They were different for everybody. Um, They were different for the children who were in school. They were different for the children who were outside of school, you know, learning from home. Um, And likewise with the teachers as well. But we can't ignore the experiences. We need to use those experiences as we would with any other um, experiences that children have when they start school and we need to use those and we need to build on those and it's kind of like working with what we've got isn't it and working with those experiences and building on everything that we've already got there yes yeah yeah definitely so so practically just in terms of the level of organization in terms of resources or in terms of materials in terms of experiences and in terms of the classroom spaces that you were using that completely changed overnight, presumably. Um, what about the outdoor space? We have an outdoor shared space that we're very proud of, you know, that, that our nursery children can interact with our reception children. Um, but obviously that needed to change straight away. So we couldn't have all of our children outside, obviously, at the same time. Um, we would have some time for nursery and then we would have some time for reception, but we also had to split the playground. Um, so that we weren't touching the same things and using the same resources. Um, so straight away, that physical activity was limited. Um, and this, this is just for our children who were in school. You have to think about our children who were at home as well um, and how much their kind of physical activity was limited when we were being told you can only go out once a day for an hour as well. Um, so some children don't have gardens. Some children didn't have that outside space. And I do remember doing a live PE lesson um, when I was back working in school in a tiny little room at the top of school, um, you know, and getting all the parents to join in as well. But it was, it really was working with what you had, um, but it's not the same as what we offer these children normally. And this is a large chunk of our early years, current children, this is a large chunk of their lives. Um, you have to think, you know, this is half or maybe more of their lives that they've spent without that social interaction, um, that they've spent, you know, with all of these restrictions and watching this stress around them as well. So, you know, you can't ignore the impact that that will have had on the children, even if, you know, seeing them on a daily basis, they seem fine and, you know, you can't, you can't ignore what's happened. Well, you can't get that through a screen, can you? No. You know, no. On a Zoom call or whatever platform you might use for your... Um, for that kind of um, sort of homeschool teaching, whatever you want to call it, that actually you don't get to pick up on the sort of the nuances of when children are, are showing you how they're feeling, really, when you're when you're working through a screen. Also, I think the other thing that I think is is a real challenge, or what certainly was a real challenge, is that I th- I think that kind of idea of homeschooling, I think, is more translatable to probably key stage one practice and key stage two practice, it really doesn't translate in terms of early years practice, does it? You know, how do you possibly get the experiences or you know, anything like those experiences you have within an early years classroom through a screen? You know, you, you just, you know, obviously did the best we possibly could, 
but how do you, you know you, it doesn't translate you know it's not it's not the same you know you can deliver a lesson to a certain extent can't you in other year groups but it's really not the same really when you're talking about younger children it's not it, it was a definite challenge it was a challenge for early years teachers everywhere um especially you know with the expectation of live lessons and things like that so I do remember crawling around my garden doing a forest school lesson outside. Um, but like you say, it's, it's not the same at all. Um, that communication and language building is not there. Um, you, you can't, you don't have that same social interaction. So communication is key in early years. Communication, uh, those meaningful interactions, but that was all removed for a long period of time as well. Yes, it's amazing, isn't it, that actually people managed to do it for so, for as long as they did. Really, it's it's real testament, I think, to to early as teachers and practitioners. Um, okay, let's let's move on then from that to then post pandemic. Um, we talked, didn't we, on the training a few weeks ago about kind of anecdotally teachers and uh, early years leaders, their experiences post-pandemic and what we're feeling about the children who are now coming into early years, whether that be in nursery or in reception. And I wondered whether you wouldn't mind kind of just talking us through that. You know, so, you know, since the pandemic, what has been the, from your point of view as a teacher, as, a, as an early years teacher, what has been the impact on you in terms of your practice and in terms of on your children? What have you seen? So I think that when speaking to other schools within our mat and other schools that we have partnerships with, I think people do have, there are some kind of varied experiences with this. And I know there's some research to say that, you know, maybe speech and language um, has decreased. And we have, we have kind of found that we've had more speech and language issues, but I know that not everybody's had that. Um, people had different experiences during lockdown, didn't they? And I think, it was very dependent on kind of parent-child interactions and what was happening um, and kind of parents' own situations as well. So some children have come out of this feeling happy with secure attachments um, and are, you know, ready to articulate themselves. But one thing that we have noticed um, quite greatly with our children, especially this year, is that kind of social interaction and it's managing those feelings and emotions um, and dealing with situations when they don't necessarily go how they would expect them, um, they're needing a lot of scaffolding with that. Um, hence why my team came to to early excellence with Andy with his fabulous um, CPD to kind of help us out with where do we go with the children's well-being now? How can we support them in the best way possible? Um, without that well-being, the children are not ready to move on and learn. So. You know, that, that's been really key for us. Um, we've had children struggling in kind of larger group situations. Um, some children can be quite withdrawn um, and, you know, not, not keen to come into those large groups. They haven't experienced it. They haven't had those trips to the park. They haven't, you know, gone to those kind of festivals and stuff that they might usually have gone to where they're going to be in a large group situation. Um, so that can that can have an effect as well. Um, I know that there is some kind of research to suggest as well that some children can have kind of OCDs over hand washing and things like that. Um, 
we haven't noticed anything like that, but we do have some anxiety around getting dirty and messy. Um, you know, some children are kind of are quite alarmed when they get some mud on them or uh, some sand or things like that, but that's not kind of what we're used to in early years. So kind of, you know, managing that and it, it's okay to be messy. Let's, you know, let's, let's get involved together. Um, but you also can't ignore the increased absence and illness that's happening within early years. I know we're, we're three years on, but these children haven't necessarily been around other children as much. So when they start school or they start nursery, um, you know, they are prone to getting ill a little bit more. So that's the kind of absence and maybe it's the kind of attitudes towards school attendance and, you know, attitudes around that that are impact there. Um, oh, sorry, I was just going to say another, a couple of other things are uh, we, we're kind of struggling with the PSED side of things um, and self-care. We've got quite a lot of children coming through um, not quite ready to be potty trained yet or still in nappies in our nursery. Um, so it's really taking everything back to basics. Um, and working on those PSED skills and those communication and language skills. Yeah, and I think what's interesting as well is that that different there will be a huge difference between different people's experiences of lockdown. You know, particularly when you think about young children who perhaps might have had both parents who were furloughed, actually may have spent more time with their parents than at any other time. You know, particularly when we think back to that first lockdown, actually. You know, you could get outside for an hour and you could walk with your parents, perhaps, or you could, you know, you could you could actually spend time, more quality time, potentially, with parents. Not ideal, of course, and definitely more stressful. However, some children will have spent more time with their parents during that time than actually previously they might have done. Whereas other children will have, have, have had a very different experience and that either they will have had sometime within school perhaps, or they will have just been at home and both parents might have been trying to stressfully try and work at home, joining Zoom calls whilst also the children were in the house. And actually that's a very, very different kind of experience. Also, of course, the space that different children have had available to them would be massively different. You know, the the difference between kind of living in a a relatively large semi-detached house with a garden is massively different to you know, living in a, an apartment or living in a flat with not with no access to the outside or you know and, and having you know one or two rooms really there's there's a huge difference when you think about actually being practically being locked up in your own house that's massively different isn't it it's huge and if you think in it during a normal year um, the children that you have starting a reception class uh, or, or nursery class um, have such a broad range of differing experiences anyway. Um, you know, some children have experienced lots of things, whereas other children, you know, everything is brand new to them. Um, so that kind of variety of experiences is great anyway when children are starting early years. Um, but now that gap has broadened even wider. Um, and it's, it's kind of about accepting those differences and accepting and knowing about them and knowing about those experiences, working with the parents, um, you know, knowing your children really well, knowing what they need, knowing any barriers, um, knowing which kind of areas they need support in. 
as well. But it does make the job of an early years practitioner, um, it makes it tricky. It does, yeah. Yeah, it, it broadens that, that whole spectrum, doesn't it? And, and really makes it quite complex, I think. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, Josie, so that brings us then on to um, the next thing that I wanted to move on to to talk through with you. I know that you've recently worked with the Department for Education on um, the Experts and Mentors program. Um, and you, you mentioned it to me when we when we met a couple of weeks ago on the training. I thought, oh, that's, that sounds really interesting. It's not something that I know a, a huge amount about. So I wondered whether you could tell us about kind of what that is, what's the, you know, what, do, what, what is the Experts and Mentors Programme, the Department for Education Ex- Experts and Mentors Programme? Um, what's your role within it? And, um, and what have you found out from it? And how has it impacted on your practice? Would you mind telling us a bit about it? Absolutely. So um, this is a programme set up by the Department for Education um, in an attempt to create a stronger, more experienced early years workforce. Um, it's to help enable settings, private day nurseries, schools, any early year settings um, around the country to identify the impact of COVID. Um, obviously, early years, we all know, is crucial. It's where it all begins. It has a massive effect on children's learning as they move through school and then as they move into the wider world. Um, so this, this programme has been focused on early years to support practitioners, to support children at this, you know, at this crucial time of need, really, following on from the COVID pandemic. Um, so it does have a focus on the most disadvantaged areas um, and the settings who also need it most. So I think, you know, like we spoke about earlier on, it's quite easy to ignore what happened and just kind of carry on like nothing's happened, not change our practice, not change our classrooms, um, you know, not change what we do. But this this program is for um, people to go into these nurseries and to support them to make these changes, to identify the impact of COVID, and to kind of have a look and see what they can help them to develop on um, in order to support the children the best. Um, so the program was piloted in January uh, 2022. Um, but the full rollout ha- happened this September, uh, the previous September, which was when I joined as well. Um, so the programme has three roles. It has area leads who kind of oversee each area. It has the experts, which is the role that I do, um, which is where you go into the settings, you work with the management, you identify the impact of COVID, um, you kind of create an action plan and identify what the manager needs to do to support their staff and their setting to kind of move forward and take those positive steps. Um, And then we have the mentors who will either go in or work virtually with the staff members in the settings um, to support their knowledge of child development, um, the CPD that they think might help, and just, just to support them and coach them to become better practitioners, really. Um, And... This is carried out by kind of a variety of experienced people, ranging from head teachers, local authority advisors, early years leads, nursery owners, um, and kind of many other job roles that I met at our training as well. So lots of experienced people um, willing to come in, willing to help, willing to sit down um, and have conversations about where where that need is and how we can meet that as well. Yeah. 
That sounds like a great role. Sounds really interesting. Really interesting. It is. I found it, you know, it is really interesting to go into other settings, to, to work with those managers and build relations with them and kind of move forward. Yes, it's all often about that relationship, isn't it? That kind of trusting relationship whenever you've got that support going on, that trusting relationship and that, that kind of mutual respect of understanding that actually, you know, somebody's here to support you. And I, I think going back to kind of what we talked about previously, when you think about when you think about the children who are now entering nursery, of course, at three, they're the children who were, were just being born as as lockdown happened, which is a you know a really you know sort of you know and a really sort of strange thought isn't it imagine that you know that that if you know a a, a mum is having their first baby just at that point when um, Boris Johnson announces lockdown you know suddenly I mean, it was a strange time for everybody but you know I, I just really sort of empathize that actually thinking back to that time and what that must have been like you've got kind of different levels of change both personally in terms of you know a a newborn baby and your kind of family dynamic changing anyway and then alongside that you've also got that national change and fear and anxiety and everything else and which kind of makes me think that actually when when we consider the impact of covid it's not going to i think it could be quite easy to think of it as a a kind of almost like a sort of a, a blip that are sort of, you know, that you think, well, actually, there's a blip here in terms of, you know, ride it out for for three years and we'll be absolutely fine in terms of our children. When actually that isn't really the case necessarily because these children, you know, by three, actually, we have developed in all sorts of different ways. And if actually your first three years of life are really affected by anxiety or certainly the your your even your first year of life in terms of you know anxiety and stress and and restriction of experiences then actually the impact is huge i think and we haven't really got yet and i think this is where i would i think it sounds like that the experts and mentors program is really getting to to grips with that we haven't really yet i think got to properly got to grips with the full impact of it on our young children no, I agree. I mean, we were kind of sailing along, weren't we? Things were kind of hard in early years, but expanded, and then kind of COVID hit, and we had a massive dip, and then you, we're kind of three three years along now, and we are we're heading back up, but it's it's definitely a kind of uphill struggle. Uh, and like you say, some children were just being born in the pandemic, um, and maternal stress does have an impact on on children and babies as well. So. Maternal stress can affect verbal, motor, and cognitive ability. Um, it affects those personal, social, and emotional development, um, along with children's regulatory capacity as well. So, you know, you can't ignore the impact, you know, from the very start of these children's lives. Um, but we are we are working up now, aren't we? Everyone's working together and. You know, we're, we're trying to head back up, but changes do need to be made to practice. And, you know, you would never ignore a child's background before. So although we've all been through it together, it's still something that needs reflecting on. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know when, when we uh, got together for the training, we were talking about um, 
a particular document that had been researched, uh, so a piece of research from York University and from the Department for Education on the kind of almost the immediate impact of COVID. So it was released in, I think, 2021 and looking at sort of, you know, how settings had coped with the pandemic and how parents had coped with the pandemic. And it it looked at groups of children who were now going through into reception and, and, and beyond. Um, and that was really interesting to look at. But I wondered whether as part of the Experts and Mentors programme, you'd looked at other data as well. Yeah, so part of our training was to kind of recap on COVID. And I think everyone does a good job, don't they, of blocking it out of their mind a little bit. Um, but, you know, but the statistics were really interesting. And it was interesting to find out, you know, that only 5 to 10% of nursery children attended compared to normal. Um, you know, like one in five of our most disadvantaged um, children have no computer to use at home, you know, during this whole virtual learning process, compared with one in 20 um, of the least disadvantaged children. Um, you know, there's some shocking data out there as well, um, such as serious child harm cases reported by councils in England um, rose by 19% during the pandemic compared with the previous year. So nine, you know, that rise of 19% is also huge, isn't it? Um, and the highest proportion of which was the children under under the age of one. Um, so they are the children who we have in our, our current cohorts now, and they are the children who we need to be vigilant for as well. Um, and a children's hospital in Birmingham reported a 31% increase of referrals um, to children's social care. Again, 30% is a huge Huge increase there. Um, and then obviously on return to the classroom, um, pupils were obviously already behind. Primary pupils were on average 1.8 months behind um, similar pupils in 1920. Um, and their reading was 3.7 months behind. So, you know, already the gap is huge. And we all know that that gap, unless it's plugged, will only get bigger as well. So I think a big part of this COVID recovery scheme is to look at these statistics, to look at the children who are being affected and to see what kind of barriers that we can we can close. Um, you know, there's there's other things in there, such as, you know, the, the expected SEND were very affected by this um, developmental deficit with larger in boys um, than girls. So... You know, these it's all important information that without being kind of reminded of it and recapped, it would be easy to kind of just move along as you normally do. Um, but yeah, uh, Ofsted's research found that 44% um, of those interviewed felt that children's personal, social, and emotional development was falling behind now. Um, so 44% with PSED falling behind. You know, that's a massive amount. That's something we really need to look at. We need to put those practical um, strategies in place to support that. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think that is a really important point, isn't it? That that the needs of children have changed in the last few years. But has our practice changed? I think is an important question. I, th- I, think, I think to a certain extent, we've tried to go back to our original practice. We've tried to go back to everything we used to do, you know. We've and we've and physically we've got the things back out that had to be put away. We've done those sorts of things, and we and we want to do that, of course. 
But I think we have to actually go that step further and we have to say, well, actually, what are the needs of the children right now? You know, sometimes, you know, our, though our way of working sometimes was created pre-pandemic for children actually that had different needs. And we, it's always, of course, important to go back to what are the needs of our children? What are the needs of these children? And how do we meet those needs? And to really reflect on that, I think. Definitely. I mean, you, you can't ignore children's well-being. Um, you know, there's, there's more anxiety, there's depression within, within young people. Um, you know, there's more anger and increased rates of mental health conditions. Um, children's physical health has been, um, you know, limited and changed a lot. Children's oral health needs support. There's, you know, there's such a lot of gaps that need looking at, and it is really important that you, you know, come up with those strategies and, and don't ignore them. Um, and obviously, we all know that the prime areas of learning are absolutely key. Really, these should be a focus now more than ever. You know, children need that support with PSED. They need that physical support. They need that communication and language, those meaningful interactions, um, you know, now more than ever. So I think really, and a lot that I do as my expert role is making sure that we are going back to basics with what we do. You know, we do have visual timetables up so that children know what's going on. You know, they, they, anxiety can be calmed because they know what's coming next. Um, they have that routine. They have access to the outside areas um, that have been limited for them. We see a lot of children now and they just want to climb. Uh, you know, children in our nursery, they just want to climb on the tables and the chairs and on the sides. So it's, you know, giving them that opportunity to be outside and and play and making sure that you have that kind of outside ethos, um, which is really important following on from from everything that's happened. Um, you know, communication is key, isn't it? Communication with the children, um, but also parent communication. So I know that a lot of nursery settings and reception and early year settings have said, like, you know, it worked really nicely having the parents drop off at the door. Um, Children have settled a little bit easier, um, but that does need to be, you know, we still need to take into account child development and those kind of secure attachments and things like that. Um, so kind of, you know, what works best for your setting and reflect on that, but making sure that that parent communication is there. Um, parents are anxious as well. We had a conversation about this in our, in our training session with you, didn't we? Um, you know, that adults have changed, their outlook on everything has changed, people are feeling anxious. They're going to feel anxious leaving their children at the door of a nursery that they've never been into or, you know, might never have seen before. So it's about relieving that anxiety for the children and the adults. Um, not about forgetting what's happened, but kind of about reflecting, working together as we did when we had to work virtually, working together with the parents. Um, having this parent-teacher-child partnership so that we can move on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, this is really, really interesting stuff and, and it's been lovely to talk to you, uh, Josie. I think, um, yeah, it's it's interesting on different levels, isn't it? To think back, you know, kind of personally in terms of what that what it was like three years ago, what it was like for, for you as an individual within school, 
uh, and for your team within school as well, but also to then think about, well, actually, what's the impact of that? And and all of the things that you're saying there, I think, in terms of actually what we now know about young children post-pandemic, I think it's kind of we're getting there now, aren't we, in terms of really starting to understand that actually those prime areas are key. But I think quite often, I think the wheels move quite slowly, you know, in the actual change within within education can be quite slow sometimes. And yet the needs of the children are right now. You know, these, these children coming through in terms of having those real needs, they need to be met right now. So, you know, just thinking for our for people who are listening to this, I think my my key piece of advice here would be to really think about your practice in relation to the children right now. Is it practice that was created pre-pandemic? If so, that could be fine, that could work well, but don't take it for granted that that is the case. Do reflect on everything, do really think carefully about the needs of the children right now, the needs of your children on entry and what you know about your children, and then consider whether actually what you have in place is definitely meeting those the needs of those children right now. Mm. And the support is out there as well, Andy. You know, this the CFE COVID recovery scheme is available to everybody. If you know, if you feel like there's some areas that you want to help with and you are feeling overwhelmed by, you know, the early years reforms, the COVID pandemic and everything else that, that makes life hard and you do want that support, join the COVID recovery scheme. You know, people are there to help. Um, and also use your local authority as well. You know, the, the support is there for people who are feeling unsure or, you know, need some pointing in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. Josie, thank you ever so much for joining us. Um, it's been great to talk to you and uh, really interesting to hear your perspective on this. Thank you ever so much. Thanks, Andy. So there you go. Thank you very much to Josie for joining us on this week's podcast and also, of course, to you people for listening along too. Um, Have a good week, everybody, and we will see you next week.